Hi there, I'm Owen and welcome to a brand new episode of Deep Diving. Now I know the release schedule has been a little bit sporadic the last while. Uh, I'm sorry, male work-life balance has been a little bit higgledy-piggledy, but hopefully we'll get back on the road soon. Be that as it may, I hope they'll find this one worth the wait. So to put it simply, Billie Eilish is the biggest pop star in the entire world. And it's happened very quickly. She put her first song online in late 2015. It was actually not officially released until November 2016, her first song. And then she really didn't start to enjoy commercial radio support until early 2018. 18 months later, she is the biggest pop star on the planet. At the time of publishing this podcast, she's got more monthly listeners on Spotify than Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, Beyonce, Katy Perry and Ariana Grande. So I had a short but fascinating chat with her mom Maggie when Billy played in Ireland recently we talk about Maggie's decision to homeschool Billy and her brother Phineas Billy's dance career being ended by injury and subsequent depression that followed and her daughter exploding to world fame now each of these topics could have easily done with an hour in and of themselves to be honest uh, and time was very limited so whilst this isn't as in-depth as I would have loved it to have been hopefully it gives you an insight into what it's like to be the mother of the most famous girl on the planet. This is Deep Diving with Maggie Bard O'Connell. Maggie, hello. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for giving us your time at Electric Picnic. It's lovely to have you. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Now, the first thing I need to do is clarify your pronunciation, right? Because I would say Bard, but I saw you do an, an interview and you said it completely differently. Baird. Baird. Scottish. Okay. Beard. Beard. <laughs> Do you know the origin? You ever done one of those ancestry trees? Yeah, Scottish. Yeah, fully Irish and Scottish. That's me. Okay. And the kids are Irish and Scottish and Scandinavian. Okay. <laughs> Could you hypothesise why it is Americans are so fascinated with their ancestry? A lot of Irish people are probably Scandinavian if they want to go back, but I've never given it two seconds thought to be really? honest. Really? Yeah. I guess it's just part of the whole melting pot thing, you know? The yeah. whole, you know, it's part of our so whole identity, I think, is that we're a melting pot and then we're curious, you know, where yeah. we came from. And it's, I don't know, I, I guess we are kind of obsessed with it. Yeah. And people are very obsessed with their, like, you know, there's Irish fairs and Scottish fairs and they're hugely popular, too. People love to have a route somewhere. As far as I'm aware, for New York, the only parade that gets Fifth Avenue closed off is St. Patrick's Day Parade. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the Cinco de Mayo celebrations. There's all these other kind of celebrations, I guess, based around nationality or ethnicity or whatever you want to call it. I'm going to take a wild leap and assume you're quite a liberal person. You are correct. <laughs> um, it's it, it seems like a horrible time to be in the United States for anyone who's not... It's a rough time. ...straight and white. It's a rough time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's exhausting, too, because every day you've got so many things you're worried about and so many things you're fighting for and... and you know, the, the crazy thing is in the U.S., people like me, people who believe the same way I do, are we're in the majority and yet <laughs> we're not in control. And that's a terrible feeling. I mean, we're, we're absolutely the majority. But Do you believe that? I guess that's the thing that I kind of despair about when I think I, cause I, lived in, I lived in the States for some time. I lived in New York for two years. My sister lived in San Francisco for four. A lot of friends in Los Angeles. And they're, I guess, quite liberal hubs. But then I go, when you consider anything that's not the coasts. True. Well, not necessarily if you're looking geographically, but if you're looking population-wise, I think yeah. we're in the majority. You know, okay. we have a somewhat archaic 
system of government with our electoral college, which made total sense when it happened, when it was put into place and doesn't really make sense now. Yeah. But you have to have the majority party ready to get rid of it. <laughs> and that never happens. Yeah, okay, all right. So, so. and onwards we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have, you've had this long journey as you're a comedian, you're a musician, you're an actress, you're a mother, of course. <laughs> but your identity has kind of become linked to the Vox Populi through <laughs> Billy now. Yes, and, true. I, and it's a fascinating element of your life because up until very recently you were... Like, is your home like suburbia? Is it kind of like quiet suburbia or? Well, we live, you know, L.A. is an interesting city where you can live in a house and have a yard and live in a neighborhood and still be in Los Angeles proper. Yeah. So we have that, a little house with a yard, and that's still where we are. You know, it's in, you know, northeast Los Angeles. So we live kind of exactly the same way, except our house is full of stuff, you know, lots, lots more shoes. (laughs) <laughs> and lots more, you know, fan art and stuff like that. We're kind of crowded. But, yeah, we live this kind of very normal life when we're home, except that it's very abnormal because we're doing crazy, weird things. You know? Yeah. I guess everything about the family seems quite earthy and that you're all quite arty people and the kids were homeschooled and all these <laughs> things. But I still... I feel like I subscribe to that as a philosophy and it sounds wonderful. And yet, if I happened <laughs> upon the kind of success that would let me buy the most obnoxious house in the land and have speedboats and Bentleys, I'd still do it. <laughs> Whilst maybe be a bigger philanthropist at the same time. <laughs> have you not kind of succumbed to that temptation, all of you? Well, I mean, there's maybe a bit of an exaggeration about how much money you would need to do that in Los Angeles. Okay, you know okay. I mean? Like, you know, living in a modest home in Los Angeles is incredibly expensive. It's so expensive, okay. So, so you know, there's there's having more money than we used to have. I mean, and when I say that, it's it's Billy and Phineas and Patrick and I are employees, you know. So we, we um, but, you know, certainly we, we're not as, as uh, day-to-day or check-to-check as we were before, but... You know, I think you live that way, and having a small house and a close family was part of a philosophy that happened to work out with not having a lot of money, but I, I think that's still part of our just general feeling, you know? Yeah. I don't know, Phineas and Billy may end up in the biggest houses ever in the world, but, you know, you try to teach your values and say, like, you know, put your money where it matters and and keep your family close. And, yeah, okay. You know. That's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, the homeschooling thing... It seems quite alien to me. I don't know anybody who's ever been homeschooled. But what was your thought process when crunch time came? Was that something you had decided even before you had children? Or was it particular to your, your situation at the time and the schools that were local? Sort of a little bit of both. Uh, my husband had been interested in homeschooling, strangely, because Hanson was homeschooled. And he thought he saw them in an interview and he thought that was kind of cool. And then I... <laughs> I think, amazing. I know. <laughs> and then I, to be honest, this is very dark, but I was from Colorado. And when uh, the Columbine mass shooting happened in the right. school, that really scared me and upset me so much that that's, that planted the seed for homeschooling for me. And then... You know, and then we did live in L.A. where some of the schools were questionable. And it was just a philosophy that we sort of grew with. Like, we really loved being with our children so much. And we were like, gosh, do we do we really want to be away from them for most of their life, you know? Yeah. And couldn't we basically, if we even wanted to replicate school, which we didn't end up doing, but if we wanted to replicate school, couldn't we sort of do that pretty fast in the day? And then have a lot of time to do other stuff. Do a bit of maths, do a bit of geography, yeah, do a bit then, of yeah. And then go, you know, go out and do something fun. 
or you know try to make that fun but then as you get into homeschooling and you sort of you know we call it more world schooling or life schooling or unschooling you know you start to realize a lot of other reasons to do it and you get involved in the community and just becomes a, a philosophy that's not even what you thought when you went in. We also thought really strongly that Phineas, because he was the oldest, would would just do better not in school because of he his particular um, personality and his you know his gifts and his challenges and you know you kind of look at your kid and you're like ah this this school's not going to nurture them you know. And you tell me what the line is if it's not too much for personal. Yeah. What were his challenges that you said oh maybe not traditional school. Well, he was he was very clearly incredibly gifted, intelligent, you know, early talker, very but he was highly sensitive, you know, he was a kid who was super sensitive to his, you know, couldn't wear a coat, couldn't wear socks, you know. He had sensitivity issues and and that led him to have frustration issues, you know, and he was just in really good shape if you could follow his lead. Okay. And be super flexible, and that's not what school's about. You know, yeah. And as long as we were able to follow his lead and be really flexible, he uh, he excelled. You know, and he was happy as can be. But when you got put in those situations where you know they got thirty kids in a class, they're not going to care that your kid has a seam in their socks. It's driving them insane. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure, okay. So it was really kind of that. You know, okay. and then you get in the world of homeschooling, and you just meet all these other people, and you start to see this alternative world, and you go, Yeah, I can do that. And you know, I really wanted. I wanted the best hours of my kids' day, not just the worst hours, not the day, not the hour before school when everyone is miserable, and not the two hours or four hours after school where everyone's fighting over homework. I wanted the prime hours, you know, to have fun and do interesting things, and, and it, I don't know, it was, it was awesome. It, it appears to have worked out well. <laughs> well, we also live in Los Angeles where it, we have a resource, uh, unlimited resources, you know. Yeah, okay. You know, from museums and, and symphony orchestras and operas and parks and the Los Angeles Children's Chorus and dance classes and, you know, educational and creative. We have everything at our disposal. Yeah. And the great thing is when your kids are not in school, you can do all those things on the off hours when everyone else is in school. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so you go to the science Dedicate center and there's yourselves. nobody there, yeah. you know. And um, so the reason I lived in New York is I went to dance college, Broadway Dance Centre, oh. and I kind of wanted to pursue that dream, and I just, you know, fell short, but it led me down this road. Hardcore fans will certainly know about Billy's dance past, and casual fans possibly too. What level of dancing was she at? Was it she just a good kind of amateur dancer, or was she hoping to be professional? Well, she was in a competitive dance team, you know, in the last two years of her dancing, year and a half. Um... And she wanted to be a dancer. You know, that was really, at that point, I think that was her obsession. And she was a very good dancer for her age. She was not a ballet dancer, although she did do ballet. But yeah. um, she was a really good lyrical dancer and, and a hip-hop dancer, actually. But um, And a great tap dancer, actually. So she did sort of feel like, at the time, she was pursuing dance as her yeah. path. And then she got this terrible injury and, and everything you know, has she, has she ever, I, I couldn't find what the injury was. Does she keep that private, or was it? No, a- she she tore her growth plate, her psoas. You know, she part of the real issue was, and it happens to a lot of soccer kids. Okay, is that until you're 16, 17 years old, your bones are not fully formed, so it's cartilage instead of bone, and it's very easy for the muscle to pull away, and it's a, quite a serious injury when it happens. So. She really, it knocked her completely out of dance. I mean, yeah. she moves like crazy on stage. She dances like crazy. We do a lot of physical therapy and a lot of 
you know, massage and, and icing and all kinds of stuff to try to keep her on her feet because that, that injury was pretty bad. Yeah. But, I mean, it was very devastating at the time. She really, it, it was, she was literally rehearsing a number for a competition that weekend when, when her hip just went totally out. So it was very bad. And she, she couldn't even, she could barely walk for a month. So I read an interview recently where she said when that injury happened, before I guess it became aware to her that music could compensate yeah. that she kind of slipped into a, a depression or a oh yeah was, was that kind of obvious within the family oh yeah it went on for longer than that I and mean, went on for quite a while um, I mean those are hard years for any kid I mean I, I see it in Billy's fans you know I think 13, 14, 15 those are very hard teenage years yeah. in general and the dance injury I think the main reason to be honest this is my, my take on it it was it was yes losing dance but it was more losing the physical activity okay you know because even when she was a little kid she had to run and jump and dance and play frisbee and you know she never was not she did gymnastics you know she her moving was really the thing that kept her stable you know yeah and so when she lost just that physical activity i think that's really what led her closer down the path of you know depression because she didn't have that coping skill anymore yeah. fortunately she had music which really really helped but you know you need that physical activity there's really no replacement for it you know yeah. and we still struggle with getting it into her life because it's not easy when you're on that tour still, that injury still reverberates in terms of the what she can do the injury does and she has other injuries she has chin splints and she has sprained her ankles and you know but it's 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 partly her it's a partly a touring life you know unfortunately you spend a lot of time sort of sedentary traveling on buses and planes and and then you do a show and you jump like a jackrabbit like she does yeah, yeah, you yeah, know okay. so um you know but i think physical activity is is very crucial for her and for most of us you yeah. know for our mental health so that was a blow slight fast forward what was the moment i guess you realized because she was recording music and phineas is so talented and they collaborate so brilliantly together because she's exploded to world consciousness like hasn't happened since pick a pick a seminal artist you know was there a moment when you you said one this is happening fast and two oh it's a bit scary or i don't i don't quite understand the the pace of it you know i think people look at the big the big markers like radio city music hall or or you know glastonbury and they're like oh is your mind just blown i'm like my mind has been blown from the beginning. You know, you have to understand that when you have a 13-year-old whose managers are calling and record labels are calling, that's that's really shocking. <laughs> and then, you know, the whole first year, the whole first two years were so new, and there's so much to learn about the music business. You sure. know, it's very confusing. And I was as blown away when she played her first show at you know 14 at the hi-hat down the street as i was at glastonbury do you know what i mean like that was amazing at the time you know everything has been amazing for when it was you know so it just and and yeah very very stressful i mean i would say the first two and a half years were just as much stressful as they were anything else because you know you've got a teenage girl that you're worrying about and looking after and you know and and uh trying to protect sure and support and you know in a business that you don't really know much about you know like and you got to learn a lot of things really fast and you got to be there for them and so yeah it was pretty overwhelming and stressful i mean it's actually probably easier right now than it's ever been you know 
because there's a, a big label and there's established people or yeah well because even because we've had the label for quite a while but like even like the first tour we met Dave Fang that was a sold out tour and even though the venues were 150 people it was sold out crowded we were always sort of playing catch up you know because she's always a little better known than we thought when we get yeah. somewhere um yeah, I think now we have, first of all, our album is out, so we're not having, to, she's not doing hours and hours of press for the album. And we have a more crew now, you know, we're yeah. just at a level where we can have a production manager and assist, you know, we can have more people on our team. And just more people on your team helps you maneuver through it all a little bit easier. And she doesn't have to do quite as much press. And also, the bigger your show gets in a way, the more they have to give you a day off. Because yeah, okay. the crew needs a day, day off. off to set the whole thing up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So you know, the first tour, it was like it seemed like there was you know because a day. Uh, I used to have a thing with their managers where it'd be like, please do not put day off on a calendar when we have a five-hour flight. You yeah, know, okay, that's, that's not a that's day not off. A that's day a travel. Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, with six, you know, three hours at the airport and five-hour flight. You know, and then three hours of press. Not a day off. Yeah. You know. And in terms of being a mom, did you have to learn on the fly? I guess, like you say, she's. Just a teenager, and there's mm. even privately, if you're just a teenage girl, you got to navigate a world that can be unforgiving and all these things. And also, she's the biggest star in the world now. Right. That, that's what I hear those words, and that's very hard for me to process. That you saw the Reading photo, obviously. I'm sure you have to give. You saw the aerial it's photograph. Crazy. But you know, we're just that with was her an entire every, festival at one stage. That an was entire insane. Festival. It was yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah. Do you have internal wars with yourself in terms of I need to protect her, and also this is not. This is not a normal situation for a mother to encounter with her child. For sure. And, I, 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 and as close as we are, I'm, I'm sure there are days when she would much rather her mother not be, you know, involved. And one of the great things about having more, more staff and more crew is it doesn't have to be me. You know, someone else can remind her to do whatever the thing is that she may or may not want to do. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's definitely hard because I want to be her mom first and foremost, but I also have to you know help make decisions and and manage things and you know take all the questions that she doesn't want to answer about you know do you want to take this flight or this flight do you want to do you know how yeah. much time do you know so because i can't i know her enough and i know what's you know i can make those decisions for her but yeah i'm sure i mean it's definitely hard because you know partly you just want to be just the mom yeah but you know i think always a mom's job is very complex i don't think there's a mom on the earth whose job isn't you know managing all kinds of things so i'm not her manager i'm just her the go-between you know yeah okay yeah. and in terms of stuff like even the mike Calvin's ad she did which i thought i heard a lot of girls even in work talking about and she was saying she wears baggy clothes because she doesn't want to be sexualized or to be do you feel like there's a point where you're going to have to let her go as such and go I'm actually I need to stop being your mom because this is a it's kind of like a juggernaut that you can't control I mean that's kind of two questions I mean one of the questions you know I don't control what she wears and never have you know there's no controlling Billy Billy is odd. Billy's an authentic person you know yeah. if she's anything she's herself yeah. and she's always been herself and she's strong willed um, but she also listens to reason and, and she can she can hear sides and information and process it well. But, she, you know, she's her own mind, you know, and she speaks her own mind, you know, and and you know, she talks about her baggy clothes and, you know, she wears what she's comfortable in and what makes her feel comfortable. But she doesn't like to be she said it in many interviews lately that she doesn't like to be identified with 
baggy clothes means that's what you should do. She she wants everybody to wear whatever the hell they want, yeah. you know. And I, and I I agree with that. I mean, I think society I think a lot of our problems are just called caused by gender stereotypes, you know? Yeah. And I've I've seen Billy listed in articles about non-binary and stuff and she's like I'm not non-binary. I'm a female, you yeah. know? She just doesn't wear stereotypical female clothing and that's really the issue. Why do we have to identify clothing yeah. with a gender or a sexual orientation? It makes no sense. It's a stereotype, you know? So I'm totally on the same page with her about that, you know? Like, she, wear what you want. You know, although I will say the first time she ever did, I remember she went to do a show in San Diego, and she was, like, 14. Yeah. And there was a show, and she wore, I think, giant overalls and a giant pink sweatshirt, you know? And I just remember saying, like, she had a manager already, and I was like, are you okay with what she's wearing? He goes, yeah, I don't care what she wears. I was like, awesome, that's great. But I just couldn't imagine that, you know, that somebody would be okay because, of course, I grew up in the era where people told you what to wear and you have to do this and you have to dress up and you have to do that. So um, right from that moment, I was like, all right, this is this okay. is great, you know. How has the family, just as a whole unit, um, coped with, I guess, the loss of anonymity? Because I guess the, big, the, the biggest thing I took from the Vanity Fair, the very famous Vanity Fair yeah, Euro yeah. Party interview, was um, when Billy said, I just wish I could go to, like, the shop. yeah buy some milk paraphrasing but you know the sentiment and I guess that extends to all of you now well it doesn't fortunately I mean if we're amongst Billy's fans yes I can't necessarily go out into the audience totally easily Um, but in real life I certainly can and and I honestly when I'm not with Billy and I go out like to get food for her or something I really relish it. I'm like, wow, it's so amazing to be able to move around anonymously. Personally, I've always liked being anonymous. I loved living in New York City when I was younger because I liked being anonymous. Yeah. So it's hard loss. It is a hard loss. It's hard for Billy. I mean, she she loves what she's doing, and she takes it in stride. And I would not like to lose it entirely. I love, <laughs> I love being able to just live and not have anyone look at me Billy likes to be looked at though so she's okay yeah she's okay she would still like to go to yeah I mean she's okay with it you know she likes you know she's powerful you know so it's a trade off okay (laughs) two quick fire questions one flippant and one more serious have you sung the words to bad guy because obviously (laughs) it's proffered that you will never (laughs) yes I do sing them only backstage where no one can see me um because I know there's going to be like lots of little videos of me singing. Um, but yes, I do sing along to all her songs, but maybe not in front of people. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I said two, I meant three. Is it true you were in the X-Files? I was in the X-Files. That I blows was, my little mind. I spoke in tongues and had a seizure and had a pulsing forehead. You want to know my interesting X-Files story? Please. I was working with a kid who couldn't stop laughing when I had to speak in tongues and have a seizure. Couldn't stop laughing, so they traded him with his twin brother. And his twin brother couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> so they brought in a stand-in. And stand-ins for kids in the U.S. are little people. Yeah. So I did that scene with a very good actor who was a little person, and I had a seizure. Because I, I, like, I need more time, but I scoured the internet because I only found oh. that out yesterday and I couldn't find oh, it. Oh, well, yeah, it's out there. But I will. Yeah. And final question, who will be the next president of the United States of America? A Democrat. A name? 
I am not any of the Democrats. Okay. Any of them. I'm voting for any of them. Any of them. Right now, I'm not. I, I'm following many of them. I am. I'm behind all of them <laughs> at this point. Okay, well, Maybe Biden or Warren, one or then. two exceptions. What? Biden or Warren. I love Biden. I love Warren. Okay. They're awesome, both of them. I'd vote for either one of it's them. It's diplomacy at its finest. I, uh, but it's not just diplomacy. I would, in fact, vote for either of them. Okay, okay, fair. Okay. Hey, <laughs> thank heartbeat. you so much for your time, by thank the way. So I know there's loads going on, but a pleasure. Thank you. Much obliged. Thanks, Emil, for listening, everybody. If you like the episode, please put it on your socials. Please subscribe. It don't cost you nothing. It just means when I do post new episodes, you'll be alerted to them. And like I say, the release schedule has been a little bit higgly-piggly the last while, so it just means you won't miss out. And like I say, if you do like it, please stick it on your socials and tell your pals. Nice one. We'll see you next week for Mr. Sam Fender.